Here on the Lollygaggers podcast, we firmly object to any criticism of Back to the Future. So Disney, Russo Brothers, you're on notice. In this episode, we fulfill our sacred nerdly duties by breaking down Avengers Endgame and pretty much disagreeing on everything. For the Gentleman's Challenge, Justin gets violent with Black Summer, while Jeff tentatively goes shopping at the Unicorn Store. Welcome to episode 52 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things, from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm another one, Justin. How's it going, buddy? It's going all right, man. Uh, it's taken a while, but we're back to recording on Sundays, as as we have been wont to do. A good schedule. You're being, yep. being put on a decent schedule. Yep, and it's, and it's perfect timing, too, because we have uh, the big movie that everybody is talking about, and we are going to follow suit and talk about it as well. So Justin and I are going to dive right in, and we're going to talk about Avengers Endgame. All right. It's the movie. Breakdown. <laughs> Avengers Endgame is a 2019 superhero film directed by the Russo brothers. And it stars the various people we've come to know. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, Chris Evans as Captain America, Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, Chris Hemsworth as Thor, and so on. Uh, the events of Endgame follow the cliffhanger of Infinity War, uh, where with a snap of his fingers, Thanos disintegrates half the population of the universe. This is not spoilers for Endgame. That is a spoiler, certainly. For Infinity War. Now, the surviving Avengers, unable to live with their failure to stop Thanos, begin to forge plans to reverse or stop or revenge the snap and bring back all those, if they can, who were lost. Uh, I'm going to stop the summary there, keeping it spoiler free, uh, while Justin and I will spend a few minutes speaking vaguely and generally about our impressions of the movie. We will shift fairly quickly into spoiler heavy discussion because it's very difficult to talk about this movie without spoiling it. We will uh, post some sort of cue. Uh, so listen for it, and if you haven't seen Endgame yet, uh, you definitely should go do that before listening to the entirety of our breakdown. So with that warning out of the way, Justin, what did you think about the movie? I liked it very much. Uh, I saw it with my wife uh, Thursday night, 7 o'clock, when uh, she was getting ready to... So she went at 4 o'clock to wait in line, and I was still coaching. She went... She did something at home, and she stopped by the movie theater, and she's like... People are already waiting in line. So I was like, you can do whatever you want to do. She's like, I'll just go wait in line. So while she's waiting in line, this is a completely spoiler-free thing. While she's waiting in line, uh, she is sitting next to a kid that won't shut up. And she's like, this kid will not stop running his mouth. I'm like, I'm sorry about that. And I walked into the theater, look up, and she's sitting right next to one of my wrestlers. And I'm like, oh my god. That's pretty funny. So... I had to so sit wait, next to so, one of my wrestlers the whole time. So I'm confused. Like, do, do your, your movie theater doesn't do, like, reserved seats? No, the the one that's right next to my house doesn't. Um, they oh, haven't gone to that process yet. We we can go a little bit further away and do that, and they had like the reclinable seats and everything. This one's was built a little bit before that whole system. I'm sure they'll retrofit it eventually, but like this one was just. And we had great seats though. We were like seventh row up in the middle, and we had great seats. So I didn't mind. Oh God, I can't. I can't go back. Uh, our our local theater has it's tough to go back client seats we always sit on the end because we we can't stand sitting next to people so it was pretty awesome anyway anyway we're off topic already justin what'd you think about the movie i enjoyed it very much um it's it met and probably surpassed some of my expectations of what i wanted in in, in that type of movie i think that it is a very challenging 
feat to accomplish. Ten years and it not being uh, something that lets me down, especially me being as a hardcore of a fan as I am of this type of material. Um, it doesn't really have a lot to do with comic books. The comic books are always very uh, different from this. The way I think of it is it's just a different universe. It's the MC universe, not the comic book universe. But given the fact that I, it's so close to home with me, because this is like my biggest, some of my biggest stuff that I love is Marvel Universe stuff and comic books. I went in there super hyped up and really wasn't let down. Um, I can't think of really anything about the movie that upset me. Um, there is a few little plot holes here and there that I'm sure we'll get to in, in, in time. But in the end, I was very, very pleased with what I watched. And I, I uh, have expressed to my wife multiple times that we'll probably go see it again here soon. We're probably going to watch Infinity War and then go watch that as like a whole thing. She's the one that suggested it first. Like go watch it all over again. So that's my thoughts. What are your thoughts? Uh, similar. Uh, I would say that I do not... Okay, I, I come from a different perspective than Justin. Justin is a, a Marvel fanboy to some degree, right? I am not. Uh, I don't dislike most, most of it. I just, I just usually am not, as I've mentioned many times on the podcast, I'm not a huge superhero fan. Nonetheless, I have been watching, obviously, all the Avengers movies and everything. Uh, I, do, I did have, going to this movie, some sort of preconceived notions about what it's going to cover and what it's going to do. Uh, I was concerned somewhat after the end of Infinity War with where the the movie was going to go. Um, I will say that, again, we're doing this all really vague and spoiler-free, and then we're going to dive in and actually talk about details. I would say that overall, I think the movie is has got some uh, beautiful moments, absolutely beautiful moments, both in terms of cinematography and also just character moments. I would say there are some very funny moments, uh, some poignant moments, some, as Justin said, strange moments that don't really make a whole lot of sense. Uh, and I would say that I think the movie runs longer than it should. Uh, so if I had to give like a spoiler-free criticism, I would say I think it runs too long. Uh, and I think there are moments in the middle that, I mean, are utterly forgettable. Uh, but I, I think this is, an, this is an incredibly impressive feat uh, what Disney and all the folks that have to do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe have accomplished. Uh, Iron Man, the first one came out in like 2008 or something like that. So we're at about at 11 years or so of these... these uh, Avengers-based movies, right? And this is really impressive, uh, what they've managed to accomplish and the amount of feels uh, that that kind of came through in the movie theater because m- our movie theater was completely stacked at 9 o'clock in the morning with tons of people. Uh, and it's it's a movie that, that I think has a lot of what you want as a fan. It has huge, huge big old battles. It's got specific character moments. It has opportunities for certain heroes to kind of step up and do certain certain things it has some elements of character change and character progression uh in certain people uh that is really interesting to see it leaves some open doors to some potentially cool storylines down the road for other characters so it's not a complete closing of the book um but it's certainly the ending of one book and starting of maybe a new one right uh so i think there's a lot of things that this this event does particularly well Uh, i would certainly encourage anybody who has been following along with the marvel cinematic universe to go see this movie in theaters because i think this is one of those event type situations where i think you you know when you look back on you know how old you were the generation you were about certain movies that kind of stand out for me it's it's i always think of like when when the original jurassic park came out that was like an event thing and i always remember that right and then i think to some degree 
the like the the re-release of Star Wars episodes one, two, and three was huge. And I think there's certain moments I think in cinematic history when when certain movies come out, and this is one of those. And I think it's the type of thing that you should definitely go see in theaters and kind of be involved in that kind of the zeitgeist of the time. So. Um, so I would say overall, I, I think I'm satisfied with what happened uh, in, in, in the movie. And uh, I do have some some quibbles and some complaints, uh, which we're going to get to in a minute. So uh, with, with all that in mind, Justin, I, that's our, our basic thesis, our really broad ideas. We're going to dive now in. Everything here on out is going to be spoiler heavy. Uh, so we will not pull any punches whatsoever about Endgame or anything involving the Avengers universe. So if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening right now and skip forward to the gentleman's challenge or uh, just go watch the movie yourself. All right, Justin. So we've warned the people. Uh, we have uh, we have warned them as much as we can. So go ahead, unleash your inner geek. What do you got? Um, so a bunch of stuff. I think Cap was clearly the focal point of this movie. Um, more so even than, than Iron Man, even though Iron Man was probably your second main focal point of this movie. And I think Chris Evans did an unbelievable job, and he was fantastic in this film, and his character was so well written, and they really did a great job finishing up Cap. Um, so there's that. Fat Thor is probably the best thing I've ever seen in movie history, um, and I'm so happy about it, and I thought he was great. And his addition to that Guardians of the Galaxy world is going to make that so naturally good and fun, and I look forward to seeing that in the future. I'm sure he'll be in Guardians 3. Um, Professor Hulk, I thought was a great little thing that they did, um, making him a character that's formidable and smart at the same time. I thought it was a really cool progression of that character. The stuff that happened with uh, uh, Black Widow I thought was a really cool little thing even though you've seen that thing happen before with Gamora and Thanos I thought that whole scene was good um, having Korg back in the group when you go see uh, Thor was great um, Takai Waititi's uh, character is fantastic to see uh, I thought the there's a few things I thought there's like one or two things I thought was a little ham-fisted the one thing that I thought was super ham-fisted even though I still think it was good because I talked to Maddie and Keith about this last night too. We were having a conversation. And they both agree that even though it's a little bit ham fisted, it still was like necessary and cool to see was that whole female moment where every female was fighting at once. I thought it was uh nice and cool, but still was like I, I don't know how much better you present that idea that you know, there's twelve women in this universe that are super powerful and really cool to see together. So that was a really cool moment, but it was just kinda like I don't know. It's, it seemed a little awkward, but that, that's my biggest thing for that. I almost cried about five times in the movie. Um, one of which was the time when Cap said Avengers Assemble. It was pretty much the culmination of everything I've ever wanted to see in these movies, and it was amazing. It's all I ever wanted to see was a giant uh, Lord of the Rings battle between all these Marvel heroes and all these villains, and it was really, really awesome to see. Um, let's see here. Uh... I thought the time wasn't terribly too long, personally. I thought it it paced very well. Um, like you said, the middle was a little stunted at times, but I still think it was almost like three separate movies created through three separate acts. The heist part was its own idea. The uh, the getting people together to, to stop Thanos, was idea. and then finally the end of the big old battle was its own idea. And it's like an hour-long battle, which was great. And I found myself when I was watching it with my wife that I was white knuckled the whole time. I didn't even realize it until about twenty minutes in. I was like, "Oh, my fingers—they're all 
or they're all stressed out. But um, overall, I think it's fantastic. Um, I really look forward to seeing the future stuff. I do love, like you said, they kind of like closed the book. There was no post credit scene. It was just, this is it. That's it. We have some stuff that we're going to be doing later. But for these guys, for this idea, it's all said and done and it's good. Um, but I think that this is the best um, of these movies ever made. And I think if you pair it also with Infinity War, it makes it an even better thing. Because I think you have to look at them as one movie. And then I also think that they earned their bringing everybody back thing. With the beginning of the movie, the emotional grip that they put on it, the stakes that they had early on, you know, showing what people had gone through, the depression, you know, kind of like a leftovers feeling in the beginning of the of the of the movie. And when they finally all came back, it, I I feel like I know one of the biggest things we talked about was not, Infinity War didn't really matter. Because you knew they were all going to come back. But I think they did a good... Despite that idea, you knew they were going to come back. I think they earned their coming back pretty well in this film. And when they did come back, it was such a momentous moment that it was just it was just fantastic. And even though you can say, like, well, it kind of lessens the whole snap thing in the beginning, the whole thing to me was kind of all worth the end when, when they built up with, like, 80% of this movie into a moment where they all finally get back together. So, that's kind of my big thoughts that are spoilerly full. Um, what do you think? So, yeah, I would disagree with pretty much everything you just said. Um, I think every single point you make, I am on the other side. Uh, so, starting, I mean, like, in no particular order, starting with the idea of them coming back. Um, one of my biggest fears and complaints about Avengers Infinity War was that none of the emotional resonance that was going, that, that was, like, was thrown at us at the end of that movie actually sustained itself this is the equivalent of that old family guy episode that old family guy joke where where stewie actually kills lois uh, at the very beginning and then like goes crazy and then becomes president and and then like uh, what's his name uh, uh peter has to kill him and then at the end it's all just a simulation and then there's brian the dog saying you know as a joke like this is just a big f you to the audience now it wasn't obviously that crazy but it's still the same thing, and it's not so much that they brought them back, it's just that they ended that movie on that cliffhanger, which is the most ridiculous cliffhanger of all time, because everyone knew that they were going to come back. So, it was a com- like to me, it's less about this movie that I have a problem with, it's more about Infinity War, right? The, the idea that that was there, and it was completely and utterly ridiculous. Um, because no one actually believed that those were people were all dead, and everyone can get all choked up as they want about, you know... Spider-Man disintegrating in the arms of Iron Man, but it's just, it's not real, you know? And so this movie undid it all. And I know why they did it. It makes perfect sense. This movie is entirely fan service, right? So that's all fine and good. But I mean, for me as a person who's not like just a diehard Marvel fan, I just didn't like it as much. I just like, I knew you were going to do that. And that's exactly what you did. And like that to me was the easy way out. In terms of earning them coming back, I totally disagree with you. Like they... They did the harder thing to have done, the more challenging thing to have done would have been to let them stay dead and actually have to push forward in the universe as is. And instead, they took the easy route out, which was to bring them all back. And that's a shame. Like, I, 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 I really feel like when you add that element into it, it's, it's sort of a pulled punch. Again, I completely understand why they did it. I don't blame them for doing it, and I think the vast majority of people who watch this movie are going to be glad that they did it because their heroes are back, right? Still, though, to me, it makes it 
I don't know. It may it's not very brave. Like I to me it's not a it's not a, a really um I don't think they're really pushing any boundaries. And to me it makes it not a good movie. You called this the best movie in the Avengers the Avengers series. I again completely disagree. Like I would much rather watch Winter Soldier, you know? Like I, I feel like there are better I would rather watch the first Iron Man, you know, like there are and I'm not even a huge Iron Man fan because I just feel like those movies are better. They're better in terms of scale. I think they're trying to do more. And even though there are some early alchemy that was going on where they weren't quite figuring out the formula, I feel like this one, they didn't they didn't push. You know, they just sort of settled. And that's a shame. Um, I, I I feel like the the idea, the, the one thing, the one minor bit of credit I would say is like they at least made the characters themselves, those who survived Cap and Black Widow and whatnot from the from the first Avengers Infinity War, right? It made them have to still deal with it, right? It didn't just like reset the timeline. They just pushed the timeline forward five years. And so those people still had to deal with it. But at the, at the same time, like we as... We as the audience, me as the audience, I never felt that those were real deaths then because they just came back. And so it never really, really worked that well for me. Um, now, in terms of the runtime, it's a three-hour long movie. And you've said that there are three separate movies in it. But the problem with there being three separate movies in it is that all of them are just sort of, some of them are hand-waved, man. Like some of the the plot elements that are just utterly hand-waved. Things just sort of happen. Like there are some cool things, sure. I'm not going to lie. Like that whole... The whole thing where they go back in time and they revisit the various uh, the various films from the from the series, okay? Yeah, you're right. It's cool, but it's total fan service. Like we they were barely there, and there were moments of like a lot. You know, it's just like kind of cutesy. Oh, this is convenient. Oh, this is convenient. Oh, this is convenient. Like I laugh like crazy when Cap steps in the elevator and manages to walk out with the stone, saying "Hail Hydra." You know that was hilarious. Like, there's some dude in my in my theater who's like, "That's all he had to do." This yells out because it was hilarious. But at the same time, like, I don't know. It's just it's just super convenient, and I felt like, did I did I need this an hour of this? Like, I don't know. It felt felt really long. Um, I have problems. I have huge problems with the final um, the final battle. I think the final battle. You mentioned it. You kind of compared it to the Lord Lord of the Rings stuff, right? I um, I disagree because uh, I found the final battle to be really disappointing, um, for a variety of reasons. First, I found the battlefield hard to navigate. Uh, I didn't know what I was looking at. It was just all kind of a hodgepodge of things. It actually was very DC like, where everything was just sort of grim and dark, and there wasn't really any clear dis- distinguishing of like one part of the battlefield from another. Uh, when I think of like the Lord of the Realms Helm's Deep battlefield, you think of the interior courtyard, you think of what's on the outside, you think of the people on the walls, and you think of the people on the bridge. There were clearly de- delineated locations within the bigger battlefield that we can isolate specific players in that battle, and we knew exactly where we were and what we were doing. I don't think that happened in this final in the final battle, where it was just a big hod- hodgepodge with no real order or circumstance. So that was kind of frustrating. And the the idea of like the whole the twelve women shot, totally agree. Like, I like what they're doing. They're like, it's taking too long for for like. I think Brie Larson just said this over the weekend. Is that is that Marvel needs to go faster when it comes to like opening up, like it comes to adding diversity. Like they're they're too slow. Like it's good that we're moving in that direction, but the movement it's taken them too long to do it. And it's nice to see that they're having stuff that, that happen, but. If you think about it logically, if you think about that moment, that moment makes no sense. Uh, the whole the whole idea of like there's a glove bouncing around in this battlefield 
with the stones in it, it's just laughably stupid. Like, I just found it dumb. It just found it like like people were just accidentally kicking it all over the place, right? It also just doesn't make sense. Like, Hawkeye gets it underneath the, uh, the underneath the actual grounds of the, you know, the Avengers, whatever, right? And he climbs his way out, and he's telling people, and they're like, run it as far away as you can. And where do we see him? Like, 10 seconds later, he runs right in front of Thanos. Like, it just doesn't make sense. If I don't understand the battlefield, why is he running? And if you have, like, a bunch of people who can fly, if you really want it to get it away, why not give it to one of the people who can fly and get them the hell away? It's just, like, this massive silly, silly moment, right? And then when you think about it, like, why are we even adding that? We don't need that as an extra suspense, you know, like, tension builder. There's a huge battle going on. Thanos is right in front. You need to fight the guy. There's this whole sub sub moment within that battle where both the Ant-Man and the Wasp go and they find in a fairly humorous way the uh, the van, right? The van from the Ant-Man series that has that hilarious horn that honks all the time, right? And they found it in the middle of the actual uh, um, grounds of the fight. I don't understand how it got there, but it's there, right? Okay. And they're they're freaking out because they want to go because they have to get the the time travel device to work again so they can go back in time and place the stones back and they're where where they found them right why are they rushing to do that right now I don't understand like it's multiple times throughout the movie it's mentioned to us that before a person goes back in time that they have as much time as they want because there's some sort of time dilation thing going on at the very end when Cap finally goes to return them. Right. Professor Hulk says, you know, it's going to be five seconds for us. But for him, it's as much time as he needs. So then why are they rushing to do it right now? It just doesn't make any sense. Like, why not give the freaking glove to somebody, get it the hell away? Sure. And then let's finish the battle. Right. It's just the whole sequence felt so silly and so contrived and so difficult to visually understand that I found myself incredibly frustrated by the moment. You talk about being white knuckled. I again disagree because the one of the best sequences I've ever watched in a in a film where I saw a cast of characters that I really liked and they were thrown into danger and I actually felt that they were really in danger was the Serenity movie. Normally when you have, you know, this cast of characters, there's this suspension of disbelief that we as the audience have to believe that they're in danger. But when we know you know, they're really not in danger, right? They have plot armor. I never felt like anyone was in danger. I know that there were moments where Thanos, who looked awesome, by the way, when he was fighting, uh, where, like, he he breaks, kind of breaks Cap's, uh, Cap's armor, or excuse me, not armor, shield. Uh, he knocks Iron Man down at one point. At some point, Iron Man gets up. I don't even remember when that happened. Uh, and that there's a couple points where it looks it looks like, oh, wow, he's winning. But, like, it's just because they're superheroes fighting, I can never tell, like, are they really in danger right now? And then when is the deus ex machina moment going to happen that's going to allow this person or this superhero to survive? And so when I watch the end of the Serenity movie and I see, like, Shepard Book die, like, just before the final arc, and he and he grabs, like, he, he grabs Mal by, by, by the face and he's like, I don't care what you believe and just believe, you know, just believe in something, choose a path, believe in something and do something. Like that triggers this notion that not everyone's safe. And then when Wash dies, right before they have to like hunker down in the middle of this this outpost, right? Wash dies. Two people died. These were serious people. And then after that, every single character gets into a point where they look like they're about to die. And I really felt it. Here, I never felt it. 
never felt it like because no one was ever really put in danger like no one was ever like they were there they were fighting but because it was super hard to like distinguish anything it just it just felt like okay this is just any other superhero fight where no one's really in danger it's just yada 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 let's get let's just go through and do some cool super super effects and stuff like that and so we had that really nice moment where we had all the 12 women where um where the where michonne from uh, from walking dead steps up and she's like don't worry you know, like when Spider-Man's like, I don't know how you're going to get through all that. And I'm like, that's kind of a weird statement to say, Spider-Man, when you just saw her arrive from space and she just flew through a massive spaceship and blew that spaceship up. You don't know how she's going to get it there. And then Michonne steps up and she's like, she's got help. That's an awesome line. And it's an awesome image. But it's a stupid line because at the same time, she doesn't really need it. Like she's Captain freaking Marvel. She's next to Thor, maybe the most powerful Avenger, like, or, or tied, or I don't even know in terms like that. They both seem like stupidly godlike powerful, whereas the rest of them are, you know, they got little powers here and there, but the two of them are like freaking crazy powerful. Right. So I don't know, like that whole battle sequence was really disappointing. And yeah. And like the, even when Iron Man, when it comes down to Iron Man sacrificing himself, like, yeah, like, I mean, duh, <laughs> like, I think everyone kind of knew that that was going to happen, right? It's another one of those cases of this is what was going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, and then there are other I think there are other people who got lost that the, the cast got so big and so bloated that people didn't get to do anything for the, the, the whole fight. Dr. Strange was holding up water. That was his whole thing. He was he cast a spell and there was water and that was his thing. Uh, the wasp barely got to do anything other than go into a, a van at one point and like she didn't really get to do anything either. So I don't know. I didn't find that final battle sequence to be all that all that impressive. Um, like in terms of Cap, I totally agree. I guess that's probably the one thing I think you and I 100% agree on is that I thought that for the story itself, it does seem like he was him and obviously Iron Man who have cl classically been the folk, like the leaders, right? The, the official or unofficial leaders of the Avengers. Like those are the two focal points. Sure. But I think the arc that they had with, with, with Chris Evans, like, I think he did a really good job. Um, so I agree with you there. Uh, I mean, I guess another thing I, I, I would say that sort of, sort of frustrated me a little bit um, was the Thor, like the fat Thor thing was really funny at first, but eventually became distracting. Um, I felt like it outstayed its welcome. And like for the first hour to two hours when we were kind of going through it, it was nice to have that kind of humorous side thing. And it, it's interesting how Thor has kind of emerged uh, into something of comic relief. Like Thor Ragnarok really reset the tone on the Thor character, which is really awesome. Like, and I think it actually works really well. And I totally agree that marrying him to the guardians of the galaxy universe has so much promise for like a fun, crazy, zany space adventure type series. And I'm all for that, you know, but I do feel like at a certain point it became kind of strange. Um, I also feel like Thor is in a constant state of like, I, I just feel like they're always having Thor. It always seems like every time we see Thor in a movie, he's always having to learn a lesson, which is good, but he always seems to relearn the same lesson over and over again. Right how to be a good leader first Thor movie he he learned how to be a good leader and at the end he learned how to be a good leader second Thor movie same thing Ragnarok same thing this movie same. it's just like I don't feel like they push his 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 narrative for I feel like they get a little samey with some of his narrative arcs they just don't know what lesson it is they want to do with him yet or they don't know what it is they want to do with him yet and they're just now finally figuring it out but it, I do feel like it gets a little repetitive after a while 
Um, now I'm being super negative right here, and I and I I should I should state that I actually enjoyed the movie. Like I thought the movie was good and entertaining. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. <laughs> like it's it's the type of movie where I just feel like I saw it. I'm good with it. I don't know if it drives me to watch it again the way I would want to watch a Star Wars movie again, or the way I, re- I enjoy watching the Batman movies, or you know the Christopher Nolan stuff, or or Jurassic Park, or anything like that. Uh, like this movie, to me, I just feel like I saw it. I know exactly what happened in it. Everything that happened in it is pretty much what I thought was going to happen. I don't know if there's anything more I can get out of it on a second viewing. Maybe I'll do it again when it comes out, you know, on TV or something like that. But I don't know. Like it was a good movie. It's something I think everyone should go see. And I think if you're a, a Marvel fan, you're going to get more out of it probably than than me. Um, but I I I just don't think it was. I think it was safe. You know, I think it was a safe way to approach this final film. And I, I, that's what I thought they were going to do, but I was still hoping that maybe I would be wrong and that they would try and push and do something a little bit more bold. And I don't, I just don't think they did. Well, I think in my final thoughts of it, um, I, I like overall what it means beyond just like, uh, you know, was it aesthetically pleasing or, you know, did all the stories make sense? One of the big things I get out of this movie is it is something me and my wife love to do together. And I think it's great. It's a great set of movies and this anthology of 10 years where you really can barely find a bad one of the bunch. And by bad, I mean like unwatchable. Like most of them are, are entertaining and they do fit a formulaic uh, level to it. But they're still... Uh, watchable and entertaining movies but like for me th- th- there's a lot more to it of like for them to take 10 years of this stuff and to come up with a, a satisfactory ending for me and for both something me and my wife to get into together I think was was very very uh, pleasing for me and that's really what I love the most about this movie um, I look forward to seeing what they're gonna go with next I honestly have no idea now they've messed with the timelines and stuff like that, and to me, there seems to be two. There's like there's one broken branch that they have to, they might refer to in the future. There's a second broken branch of Loki, which I think that they're eventually going to use that for his TV show coming out in Disney Plus. But like there, the one major broken branch is Thanos is dead in the past in 2016, and they're not fixing that. So there's definitely a branch that's been created off of the absence of Thanos. So what will happen out of that will create a, a branch timeline and alternate reality, which will be interesting to see. Maybe that's maybe they did it all on purpose because I think that that scene with Mark Ruffalo and Tillis Winton was a very important scene of really establishing the rules of what's going on and that it has something to do with later on and what they're going to do in this next uh, iteration of what they plan on doing, um, which if it's a, a separate reality, then you're talking about if they really want to, if, if uh, Robert Downey Jr. needs to pay for a new house, he can always cameo in something or like that, you know what I mean? So I think that's, yeah. that's something in the future. I hope they don't do stuff like that, though. Like, one of the one of the things that always sort of frustrates me about, um, it, I guess it's not frustrates me. It's just sort of it, it, it almost like a defeatist sense of why I don't really want to get into um, certain superhero stories and stuff like that in comics. It's just because I just just give me the story, you know, just give me the story. I don't want this person's version and this resetting. It's the one of the, one of the other annoyances I have with Spider-Man is that we constantly seem to be resetting Spider-Man, right? I just, I kind of liked how there was the continuity 
with Avengers, right? That's like one of the things like, again, I'm, I'm entirely impressed by what Disney has accomplished in these 10, 11 years or so. Very awesome. Now, I like the fact that there was one coherent storyline, right? And that's that like, this is it. This is the story. And it wasn't a, well, now we have another version of it. And now we have another in this parallel. Unit, and that, that like when, when Arrow on uh, CW started doing that, I'm just like, all right, I'm out. Like, <laughs> like, it's just, it's just, I don't like, unless you have like parallel universe stuff as the fundamental aspect of your, you know, of your story from the very beginning. Like, I just don't want to do this as a way to kind of get characters back in. Like, no, like a death is a freaking death. Like the a character death, it hurts, but it should be permanent. And when it happens, if you undo it, to me, that takes away the power of it, right? And so when Iron Man sacrifices himself at the end of the movie, it's a very noble thing that he does. If you go and you have him show up now in future movies, I would, I, oh man, that would suck. Like to me, I would hate that. Like I would hate that for the same reason I felt like even more so actually for why I didn't like how they, re, you know, they kind of brought everyone back at the beginning. Like, no, like, let it be permanent. Let it stick. Let it hurt. You know, like, let the, the the notion of of stories, of especially of a character arc, the most powerful thing is at the end. Let them end. And so I want that to happen. And let the Avenger stuff end. Let the Thanos stuff end. Let the Infinity Stones be done with it. It's over. Like, do something new. And that's I'm actually excited about that. I'm excited for what they could potentially do. I'm excited about what Captain Marvel can do, especially if she's like off on all these other planets and doing all these wonderful things. What Guardians of the Galaxy can do. Uh, I'm sure you're interested in Spider-Man. I'm not. I've never been a huge Spider-Man fan, but like that's certainly the potential for a more localized story, and I definitely a scaled down one as we focus maybe just on New York, um, as opposed to the inter- intergalactic stuff that we've been doing for so much recently. So, I hope that they do something new and they let this stand and let everything that happened in these two big final movies finally be done, and they don't try to undo anything for fan service. Well, I think we both uh, gave our piece about the movie. I think it was a good uh, combination of ideals and thoughts. So uh, I'm pretty satisfied with what we did. This is like our own culmination of time and reviews all put together in one final uh, cohesive narrative at the end. So uh, I feel we too uh, should be commended with uh, close to $1.6 billion, which they made this weekend. So I expect my (laughs) check in the mail. Sure, sure, sure. Split it right down the middle. That'd be great. All right, so with that uh, behind us then, let's go ahead and move on to new, brighter, wonderful things with the Gentleman's Challenge. And now, it's time for the Gentleman's Challenge. So the Gentleman's Challenge is a segment we do here on the Lollygaggers podcast where Justin and I like to give each other homework. Now, this homework tends to be watching a movie, maybe a TV show, maybe play a game or something like that, or read a comic. And then to ensure that we completed said homework assignment, we come back on the next episode and we quiz each other about it. Now, everything we talk about here in the Gentleman's Challenge is is heavily spoilered. Uh, So if there's something that you don't want to know about until after you've experienced it yourself, I strongly encourage you to skip forward uh, or skip backward if you want to go back and listen to the Avengers stuff, whatever it might be. Uh, But you have been warned. Uh, Justin... Who's going first? I think uh, I'll go first with Black Summer. So I'll take the, I'll take the reins. So uh, you assign me Black Summer. is a 2019 Netflix show. Um, it is created by John Himes and Carl Schaefer. I did a little bit of research about who they were. All they had done together in the past is Z Nation. That's really kind of about it. It stars 
uh, Jamie King as Rose. She's been in a couple things. Uh, she was in uh, the well, the the Wayne's Brothers White Girls uh, movie. She was in that. She played one of the, the girls that was mean. I get one of the um, girls that was being uh, uh, like watched over because they like they basically impersonated two like Paris Hilton types, and they were she was one of the Paris Hilton types. It also stars Justin True Carey. I haven't seen him. I looked at his stuff. I don't know. I don't recognize anything he's been. He was in the Days of Our Lives episode, I guess. Uh, Christine Lee, uh, she plays uh, uh, Ken, and I, I don't, I can't see anything that she was in that I recognize either. So this is mostly kind of like unknown actors and actresses uh, put together. So Jamie King's been in a few things. So essentially, it's weird because like for the longest time, I kept confusing her with Jamie Presley from uh, uh from what's it called from My Name Is Earl. Like I kept confused. I kept like, oh, that's the woman from My Name Is. It's totally not right. Like it's totally not the same person. But like I don't know why. I just kept doing it. They they kind of look alike. But anyway, go ahead. So basically, the idea is there's been some type of zombie apocalypse. They don't tell you anything about what's happened, about how it occurred, about what the government's doing and all you know is that there's this family trying to escape their local area has been quarantined and go through with the military to i guess the main way station they're all trying to get to is the stadium because apparently the stadium is where everyone's kind of rendezvousing where all their family members are going to be at so the way this show is kind of presented i watched the first three episodes the way the show is kind of presented is in like chapters or point of views and uh which makes it a little bit interesting with the way they kind of like uh stage how things are done together um so you start off with uh rose and her husband and their daughter and they're going to try and get to the checkpoint their daughter gets through but her husband her husband's hurt and sick and they're worried that he might be infected with something so they kick him out she goes with him back to the house and then he dies while they're there he turns into a zombie kills another person that was living with them at the time because they all kind of like stayed in that quarantine area and she escapes uh, while he's trying to uh, murder her. While she escapes, a uh, seemingly military officer uh, saves her, and then you get a flashback to when he was... Uh, uh, this whole thing started off maybe a few minutes prior to this. So he was a guy who was captive um, through military uh, MPs and stuff like that. They wanted to try and take him in, and he said, uh, we're all going to die here, let's kind of like get out of here. So he... Lures one of the bathroom, escapes and take, uh, kills him, es- escapes and takes his clothes, so he's impersonating a military officer. You also have Barbara, who's in a car, who's an older woman who gets basically hijacked, and now she's getting hijacked. Another man comes up and kind of saves her. You get uh, Kyung, who's a, a, a Asian descent, who doesn't speak any English, who's with a deaf man, um, and they're kind of like working together trying to get out of here too, but things keep on happening and kind of disrupt everything that's going on um then there one of the cooler point of views is from a woman who was killed and turns into a zombie and basically you follow that zombie around and kind of like what they do and kind of what they're like looking for and basically it's just her going from place to place trying to find someone to to murder so uh it's really interesting kind of like uh point of view they all end up in the end of the first episode in a car um uh, Jamie ends up with the police officer. The police officer and her go off with another man and the deaf man, and they end up finding their way to a school. The uh, the Barbara, whose car was being stolen, Kyung, and then uh, another man uh, uh, of uh, 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 I guess Spanish descent, 
all get together in the, in the van and drive away. And the second episode is more focused on those guys and what's going on with them. The people in the car, they're being chased down by a, a truck. The truck kind of runs them off the road. It goes back and forth of what's going on uh, with the two groups. Mostly is, it's the episode's called Ride, so it's all about, or Drive, it's all about just kind of the people in the van. They kind of get run off the road because these guys in this truck are trying to basically, they assume, steal their gas. In a tremendous uh, shocking moment where he's going like 100 miles an hour, he hits a, a truck, and then Barbara in the backseat just gets jettisoned at the front of the window. Which is a crazy moment. I was like, whoa, all right. And then the guy who was in the other van, or the other truck, dies. So eventually, three people or four people from this group of cars uh, escape um, into a, uh, I believe it was a convenience store. Um, it, was a, it was a diner. It was like a, yeah, like a little restaurant. And uh, you have a mixture of the people that were chasing them down and the people that are in the van, but then there's a mixture of the people that were with them as zombies that were chasing them into the diner. So that's the second episode. Third episode uh, was my nightmare because it took place in <laughs> That's why I wanted school. you to watch three. Yeah, that's why I wanted you to get all the way through three because I figured you'd freak out with the third one. Because it's a school, um, and so it's a little home. Uh, so that one's called, uh, uh, what was it called? Uh, summer School. Yeah, Summer School. So uh, the, the I wrote down all the different sections. The first section was hide. So basically hide, they, they leave their uh, their transport, they get into a school. The school looks, it looks like it's being held over by this big old burly man. They head inside, and the door's been propped open, so they assume that the man is inside with the door propped open. So they get inside. After a little while of being there, they notice that there's, in the next side, the next chapter is seek. They notice that there's people running upstairs. So there's someone else there. And as they walk around, they notice that there's dead people in the showers and there's some weird stuff going on in this place. There's a little boy running around and people giggling over intercoms. Then there's a section help where the you take the military guy and some type of, he looks like some type of stoner, and they walk around and they know they don't really notice it, but you notice as a, as a viewer that there's a giant help wiped, or walked, uh, like written all over the windows and stuff like that. Then there's detention. Detention is when uh, Rose goes looking around. And she thinks she hears a kid crying. So she goes into the bathroom. It turns out it's an intercom and someone's screwing with her and they lock her in there. Then there's roll call where the deaf guy gets, uh, thinks he, he finds the kid. The kid uh, tricks him into being abducted by an older group of, of boys. They're still boys, but they're like maybe like 15, 16. They have a gun and some weapons and they take the deaf guy in. And then there's recess. Where basically uh, the group, uh, Rose and the uh, military guy find out. So the military guy gets Rose out of the bathroom. They try and find Ryan, who was the uh, who was the the deaf guy. The kids show up and say, "We'll give you him if you give us the gun." They say, "Okay, we'll give you the gun," but he can't. He goes, "We'll let him go, but he can't move." Um, but, but because he's deaf and doesn't know what they said, when he takes the, the wrappings off, he starts walking away, and they shoot him. And so that whole thing happens. Like a little kid, like a like yeah, a, a nine-year-old, ten-year-old kid or something like that. Because yeah. they've created some like of Lord of the Flies scenario in this little Very much so, yeah. Very Lord of the Flies, um, for sure. And it's, uh, it's real creepy. And then they eventually escape because the big burly man outside lets them out. And as they leave, you notice that the little one of the little kids opens the door and puts a jam in it. So it wasn't the big brother guy in the first place. The little kids brought him in there as kind of like a, 
a baiting scenario. I don't know the motivation behind it, but it's terribly creepy. So it was, well, they were they were cool. collecting people's like if when they there was a scene when they were actually inside the uh, kind of like the the not the home ec, what the hell is it called like the the tool shop like wood the shop, workshop yeah. wood shop thank you uh, they where they were collecting they basically steal people's resources that's what they were doing and then they, so it was a really creepy creepy episode um, so what I think of it so I like the way it's I like the way the story is told. I like the different types of aspects because sometimes they overlap. It's very Pulp Fiction-y at times, but not as uh, as thorough as Pulp Fiction. It's like th- Pulp Fiction is like seven stories that like coincide next to one another. This one's a little bit of overlap, but I like the way it's done. I liked, I really like the one moment where they showed the zombies' progression through how they develop and what they do and like what they're looking for. I thought the uh, the school episode was really good, but also terribly creepy. Uh, there's a lot of little things in there that was like... Because in that point, you know, the, the zombies weren't that scary. It was like the creepy little nine-year-old with a handgun. So, which I worry about every day at my job. That a nine-year-old is going to take me out. So, even though I work at a high school. So, um, overall, I enjoyed it. I'm probably going to finish it. Uh, I do get tired of these zombie shows because there's so many of them. But because this one's shot really well, because there's a lot of long shots too. And I get uh, uh, excited over these single shot moments and there's lots of them in this show like almost every chapter is one shot they have little breaks here and there but most every chapter is just one particular shot so i enjoy that type of stuff so it's like really good cinematography and storytelling through that i do wonder if it's ever gonna suffer from the whole uh walking dead scenario where it's like they don't know how to end it or where to go i hope that they've if with this show that they learn from stuff like that that has to have a beginning middle and end but I also like the whole idea of these people you think they're characters, they just, they die, and they're dead, and it's done. Um, yep. And, it happened, and that holds true all the way to the end. And, like, if you like those long shots, there is a sequence in the very last episode. It's not one It's not one continuous shot, but it's multiple shots that are kind of spliced together. But it's it has very much, it very much reminds me of the scene in Children of the Men, uh, Children of Men uh, towards the end where Clive Owen is like, running through the streets to try to find uh, i can't remember the character's name uh find the pregnant woman that he was he was uh, tasked with escorting it's very much like that scene so uh it's pretty it's pretty intense uh, so i i enjoyed it i like the way it was told i like the cinematography so i'm gonna try and f- uh, finish this up but uh i do say I, I i will say that it's it's i just hope that these shows don't get caught in this stupid you know never-ending drudge of despair and don't yeah. come up with any solidified, you know, solidified ending to just like give you or a next process. Because at this point, with like Walking Dead, they're just making it up as they go, and it's stupid. And it's it's not. It's been like that for five years. So if this is a show that has a clear beginning, middle, and end, I'll stick with it. If it's just gonna be a factory of sadness, I'll probably let it go after a certain point. But I'm gonna finish out this season at least. So yeah, yeah so. That's it. So that's cool. I'm so, I'm actually really glad you liked it because I know you normally don't like zombie stuff. Um, but I I honestly like this a lot. I like the way it's shot. Um, everything you said, I, I agree with too. The idea of how the like you think these are your your plot armored characters, and yes, yeah, sure, some of them survive, but not all of them do. Like Barbara, for instance, gets like you think 
you think when you first see her and like the first yeah, that's episodes, a main character oh yeah and she's a main she gets, character uh, and then boom she's flying out of a windshield and dead. catapulted like, oh. out of a car pretty hardcore right. so it's like yeah because the, the very first episode it, it gives you those little uh subtitled shots where it just has a person's name like you know lance and barbara and whatnot right and barbara is one of them you're like oh so yeah she'll be around a while and ryan and then like the deaf guy he also is one and he dies so I really like it, and they hold with that throughout the entire show. Some survive, some don't, which is totally fine. Um, I think that the show, in terms of the season, could probably stand on its own in one season. I'm more than happy to do a second season uh, with it, uh, either either following the same group of characters or find following another group of characters. Right? Like to me, like I don't think you necessarily have to follow the exact same characters. One of the reasons I really did like it is because it felt a little bit more. I mean, realistic is a weird word to use in the case of a zombie apocalypse, but it felt to me more, um, I don't know, there was a visceral aspect to it that I really liked, the way it was shot and the way it was presented. Um, one of my problems with Walking Dead, in addition to what you've already, like you and I have talked about this a ton, like how it is just a factory of sadness after a while and it's just there to make people feel bad. Um, it's just how stupid like Walking Dead gets with some of its plots, like the idea of the like the governor like i was i checked out with the governor man like once the governor as a as an entity came around like i think i got i finished the governor arc but i was like i just don't want to do this anymore like i just don't want to deal with whatever stupid and now they have like the whispers where people wear like zombie skin on their faces and stuff like that I just like i don't want to deal with this kind of nonsense this is just this is just dumb like um so i didn't like it. some people love it and hey more power to you enjoy your stuff but like for me uh, i would much rather watch something like black summer you mentioned a couple other zombie shows like z nation for instance i never really liked that and that's the, the creators of this created the same also created z nation i never really got into z nation um and then there's like i zombie but that's like a different kind of zombie show uh but all of all the zombie shows that i've seen there's like which has got to be three or four at this point like this is the one i probably like the best so far um through one season at least so we'll see if it comes back it's getting halfway decent reviews it's got like a 64 percent fresh on rotten tomatoes so two-thirds seem to like it thereabouts uh we'll see if that's enough for netflix uh to give it another season if they want another season of it they might not it might just kind of stand all on its own as a one as a one season story uh beginning middle and end all right, all right, so I'm ready for my, my, my quizzes, I'm sure. All right, let's do this. Well, it's just one quiz, uh, and there's a series of questions. Uh, okay, so uh, from the first episode. So during the first Spears section, uh, the character we come to know as Spears uh, is told to piss in the corner of a living room. Uh, there is a list of rules on the wall uh, right next to where he's about to piss oh, that, we, see that, that we stare at for minutes on end. I didn't uh, see that at all. I was just kind of curious if you knew what rules, what kind of rules they were. And for extra credit, could you name some of those specific rules? Uh, and sadly, it seems like that's that's not going to work out. Uh, it's one of them, don't piss in the corner. <laughs> that would be pretty funny. Oh, well, you know, I guess I got that one wrong. Uh, I don't remember shit. that at all. I don't. It's, I, it's, I was like staring at it the whole time. And I was like trying to read, read down the whole list because it's this big old list. Uh, they, are, uh, they are dog rules. So it's a list of doggers because he's pissing like basically right on top of a, the bed of a dog. And so there are big old dog rules, like something you would buy off Etsy. Uh, and so the rules are for the dog, bark softly, okay. love often, do All my right. best, guard the house, be patient, do tricks when asked, show affection, fetch the stick, always be faithful, ask to go outside, lick often, chase my tail, no drinking from the toilet, don't roll in the mud. And know that I am loved. So yeah. So the, the the correct answer was just dog rules. Like you didn't have to know all that. I, I was going to give didn't you even see yeah. it. 
I was going to give you extra credit, extra points, if you could name any specific one of those. But unfortunately, that didn't work out. I'm okay. sorry. I, I blew up on that one. That's all right. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to give you all right. points. That's all right. You know, and it didn't work out. All right. So episode two, when Barbara... Uh, Kyung Sun and William are driving around in their minivan. They are stalked by a black pickup truck. For what reason does Kyung Sun say the truck is following them? And does this make sense? Uh, She believes that they're following them for gas. Um, And they think that they can get away from them if they drive really fast. Because if they have gas... If the van has gas and they don't, then they'll eventually run out of gas. So she she originally thinks it's because of gas. I think it kind of makes sense because if you're running on E, you still got a while to go. You just got to find a new uh, a new source of gas to get at some point. But I I, I I believe that's the right the right answer. Okay, so you're correct on gas, but you're incorrect in that it it, it, it doesn't make sense. In fact. So the truck wastes a ton of gas following this van because Kyung Sun thinks that the the truck wants to like run them off the road and steal their gas, right? That's the idea, which doesn't make sense because there are literally hundreds of vehicles on the road that are stopped, that they pass by on the streets. And any one of them, most likely most of them, probably have gas in their tanks that they could easily siphon off if they ever stop to try to get them. But instead, they're chasing around another another car and doing it the hard way it just doesn't really make sense so to me i'm gonna go ahead and give you half credit because you got the gas all right, part all right, that's all good right, that's I'll good okay in episode three there are a variety of signs posters and announcements hanging from the walls in this high school which of these signs was best oh uh, there's a correct answer and i can't believe seriously you gotta was, have seen this one i wasn't reading the signs um, Come I, on, I man, you had depth. to have seen this one. I was Justin. more in depth in the whole uh, drama of the creepy-ass hallways. Um, oh, I don't remember any signs. I'm so sad. One of them said, butts are gross. It was a sign. What? It what? said, butts are gross. I'm like, that's a Justin sign right there. Is, Come on. Well, that made no sense. Oh, I know like, it didn't make butts? I think... I, I don't know. It was like in it was near like the teachers' lounge or something like that. Um, but oh man, I thought for sure. Yeah, I, I thought for sure. I didn't see any. You're very oh, sign heavy in your quiz. I wasn't. I'm trying to give signs. you questions that I figured you would have gotten. You know, like oh man, this is a hard. This is a hard show to quiz on. By the way, yeah, I got you, got you, got you. There's not a whole lot of dialogue for like you to get. There's a, there's a lot of lot of silence in these in these shows. Okay, question number four. Here's your query. During a zombie apocalypse. You see a kid about 40 40 feet from you, okay? Staying shrouded in darkness, staring at you for a minute and being unresponsive to your calls. I shoot the kid. That that's correct actually. I I'm not even done. I, after I you immediate, call I to this kid, I immediately shoot the kid. So the so the, the rest of the question was after you call to this kid, the kid does not respond, the kid runs away. What is the correct course of action? And the shoot correct course the of kid. action is shoot him. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's the zombie you shoot the kid, shoot We're the kid not, as fast as possible. Absolutely. We're not talking about real. Right now, that would be awful. Don't do that. That's crazy. That's insane. You're a horrible person. But in the zombie apocalypse, that kid ain't up to no I'm good. I'm quick drawing on anyone under 10 years old. That's what worst I'm doing. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, he's a zombie. Like Best case scenario, okay, he's not a zombie, but he's still trying to steal your crap and probably hurt you yeah. in some way. And that's exactly what happened. So like, that's that's correct answer. Well done, Justin. I'm shooting that's from the hip. Like an old Western. Just... That's what I'm doing to all the little kids I see in a zombie apocalypse. 
That's what Absolutely. I Absolutely. Okay, and you kind of already addressed this, but uh, I'll go ahead and just pose it to you one one more time. Is this show better or worse than The Walking Dead? And just explain your answer. Anything's better than The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead sucks. I can't stand it. Uh, because one of the reasons is people speak words to each other in this movie or this TV show. Um, they explain why things happen. That's one of the big things. And uh, yeah, Walking Dead stinks. I wasted my time on that show. Yeah, I'm really disappointed actually with that response. Like what you actually said in the middle of your summary and whatnot was way better. The idea of it being a factory of sadness and it just seems like an ongoing process where there's no real beginning, middle, and end. Also, I think the absurdity of some of the sequences and faction factionalization that happens Walking Dead. And also one of the other things that really pisses me off about The Walking Dead, and they're not the only ones who do this, but we hear the whole like, oh, well. The, the real dangers are the humans. No, 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 no. The dangers are the zombies. Like it's, it's the zombies, zombies trying to kill people. There's it's zombies the zombies. Do you know why I know it's the zombies? Because literally, if the zombies didn't exist, everything would this be fine. This wouldn't be happening. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So no, no, no. The real, the real dangers are the zombies. Uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and give you. I can only give you half credit for that one because I feel like you're no, I'll, 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 I'll take it. I'll take it. So I'm gonna give you a very good showing for you with a two out of five. Very good job. Uh, very proud of you. It's uh, way above average. Way I know above. that there were two two sign questions, but I honestly thought you would would have seen the butts are gross poster. Um, I'd spend more time reading signs in movies now. That's what I'm about to do. Well, the the first one, I mean, we were staying out for a while, and I thought maybe you would have seen it, and then I wanted to give you all sorts of opportunities for extra credit because this was a very hard. This is a hard show to quiz on because there wasn't a ton of dialogue. Uh, so unless it was like obvious plot points, it had to be things like what did you see, you know, things you see and like hypotheticals and stuff like that. But you did a good job. You did a good job. Proud of you. All right. All right. All right. All right. My turn. So Justin uh, assigned me the uh, the 2017 uh, fantasy comedy movie, A Unicorn Store, which just so happens to uh, have been directed by and stars the uh, the wonderful Captain Marvel, Brie Larson. Uh, so uh, my wife and, and I, we had a, a very Brie Larson-heavy Saturday where in the morning we went and saw Avengers Endgame and at night we watched Unicorn Store, so on Netflix. And so you can find this on Netflix, perfectly available right now. Now this is Brie Larson's directorial debut uh, and this is also a screenplay that's written by Samantha McIntyre. It also has Samuel L. Jackson who's in this uh, who plays a unicorn store salesman, and he's dressed up in delightful pink and glitter, and it's just honestly worth it just to see Samuel Jackson in this getup. Uh, Joan Cusack and Bradley Whitford play Brie Larson's parents. Uh, Mamadou Athi, I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, I hope I'm somewhere close, plays Virgil, who ends up being one of Brie Larson, who, whose character's name is Kit, by the way, uh, one of her friends, possibly boyfriend, as the, the movie progresses. Uh, now, the movie itself follows Kit, who is Brie Larson's character, who is somewhere in the college age, right? In the 18 to early 20s. And she has recently failed out or flunked out or uns was unsuccessful uh, in an art school. And she is very colorful. Uh, she uses an array of colors, very rainbow bright. In fact, she actually watches rainbow bright at one point. Uh, very careberry, a lot of glitter, a lot of unicorns, stuff like that uh, that you would imagine in her artwork. And this doesn't go over too well with what appears to be a very colorless, drab, like Pomo, very uninteresting artist who is uh, in charge of the school who fails her basically out. And so she returns home to live again with her parents, Joan Cusack and Bradley Whitford, um, who both work for this like emotional um, emotional fantasy camp or emotional camp uh, like where you where you take kids into camps and like it's kind of like 
they deal with trauma and stuff like that. And that's what her parents do. Um, and she's a she's an only child, but she has a neighbor down the street um, who is 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 working with her parents. And so a lot of the movie is about Kit not feeling as though she's living up to the expectations of her parents, her parents kind of giving her a little bit of grief. Uh, they actually changed, like while she was gone away at, at school, she, um, they changed her, her, her home, her bedroom into like an, an exercise studio. Uh, and so when she returns, she has to like stay in the basement. Um, now during the course of the movie, uh, she, at the very beginning, she has to figure out what she wants to do. Uh, her parents are trying to get her to come work with her, work with them, uh, at their job, but she doesn't want to do this. Um, she's trying to like hang on to like the creative aspect of things. Uh, but it, it's, she's dealing with the notion of, I have to grow up now. I have to get a job, etc. And so she's at home alone. She watches all these commercials. She, she's a commercial for a temp agency, among other things. Uh, there was one commercial about punching your period, which was hilarious, uh, but gross. Uh, so, uh, she ends up getting a temp gig, uh, where she has to, uh, she starts off just by photocopying magazines for people, which is weird, uh, but she does. Uh, and then in the process of doing so, she starts getting these invitations. One of them was uh, like underneath the welcome mat of her house when she was leaving that she didn't see. Another one was at work um, where she gets a, gets a couple of work. She gives these very colorful, very cool, very elaborate invitations uh, that invite her to a specific location. Um, uh, and she has to... Uh, she has to go downtown, and when she does, she goes into this magical place where she meets Samuel Jackson, and there, Samuel Jackson wants to sell her a unicorn. Uh, but there is a whole process that she has to go through, uh, a process that requires her to make sure that there's a loving loving home. Uh, so she has to build like a stable, uh, and it has to be beautiful and colorful. It's a it's a place worthy of a unicorn. Um, she also has to have like emotional stability within the home itself. So she needs to reconcile the problems that she has with her parents. Uh, and so in the, in, in the process of the movie is like her kind of trying to connect with them and it's not really working out. Uh, she also meets Virgil, uh, through going to a, a hardware store to try to buy lumber, uh, so that she can build a stable, which she was originally going to put in her basement, but she's dumb. Uh, so Virgil says, no, we should probably uh, put her, uh, put it in the backyard. And so they go out to the backyard and they begin to repurpose some of her old tree house or, and, uh, and turn it into a stables. Uh, now at her job, she get gains the attention of the VP, uh, Gary, who's played by Hamish Linklater, um, who you might recognize as he's in Legion. Uh, so that's something of, of, of re recently that I've seen him in. Um, and he plays kind of a creepy dude who is low-key-ish kind of um harassing like sexually harassing her but she doesn't really pick up on it um or at least it's not like super overt but he's like sniffing her hair at one point and saying do you smell like coconut but he's also very creepy uh, but he invites her to uh to present and take a pitch because she's artistic at selling um this uh this what's it called like a like a vacuum to a vacuum company because it's a it's pr and r uh, is, is the name of their company they're a public relations firm they do advertising and marketing and so the one company that they're doing it for is this this vacuum company and so one of the other things that she's doing she's building and trying to get the inspiration to be creative in developing a marketing platform um and she goes with one of her with a couple of her friends at work including a mailman um who barely is in the movie uh and then i want to say i can't remember the other name of the other one i think it might be Joni. 
um, or no, Sabrina. I can't remember. Uh, but she's another person who works there. And the three of them do this pitch with all sorts of glitter and this crazy presentation, etc. And so the vacuum company has to decide between this overly sexy, uh, like ridiculous depiction of a sexy woman vacuuming while holding a baby or her crazy kind of glitter uh, thing going on. Um, the VP Gary kind of turns on her and the uh, the vacuum company, while kind of interested, also think it's overly childish. And so she gets fired slash quits from her job. Uh, at a certain point, like her and Virgil get kind of close. Um, and when she admits to Virgil that she's going to be buying, like one of the reasons they've been working on this stable together is because she was getting a unicorn. He starts to worry about her. Uh, she takes him to the location where she met with Samuel Jackson. And when they go inside, obviously the grandiose, fascinating store that's supposed to be there isn't there. Um, and it's because Virgil doesn't believe or whatever. Uh, and so they kind of have this little rift. Uh, she goes on a little trip with her, with her parents and they all, like, she also has kind of has it out a little bit with her parents, but they eventually reconcile. Um, so the movie is sort of thematically about a, a, a person who is very creative, very artistic, and is at this interesting point between being a child and being a parent and being an adult, right? And so there's all about becoming an adult. What does it mean to be an adult? Um, the mother says, uh, Joan Cusack has a really wonderful piece, wonderful line towards the very end where she said, like, as, as they're reconciling and as, like, this cathartic moment is happening for Kit, where the mother says, you know, the most adult thing you can do is fail at something that you're good at, something that you're trying really hard at, or that you're passionate about. And that's something that Kit has been doing. And that really, really helps kind of connect the two. Um, Virgil and, and Kit also have a moment of reconciliation. Um, he follows her into, as she gets like a call at the last second saying from Samuel Jackson, like, hey, we have your unicorn. And so she's like, I have to know, right? I have to go. And so she goes downtown and lo and behold, it really is a unicorn. And um, Virgil falls her in and he suddenly can see her as well, unicorn. But she decides she doesn't need the unicorn anymore, right? Some other woman needs it more because she's realized that she can, you know, she can she can move on with her life, but at the same time do what she loves. And she doesn't have to sacrifice one for the other is kind of like the lesson you learn at the end. Uh, so it's kind of a, a nice little heartwarming, um, nice lesson towards the end. So that's the movie uh, Unicorn Store. Like overall, I, I like the movie. Um, it reminded me a bit of Big Fish and Garden State, which are two movies I, I very much love. Um, Big Fish being one of the only movies that can actually make me cry. Um, now, the reason it reminds me of them is because they're both movies where the central character is reflecting on their life so far in some way, and they're facing a very important stage of their maturation, right? Now, both of those movies deal with death. So Big Fish is about Billy Crudup seeing his father in the process of dying and kind of dealing with that. Whereas uh, Zach Braff and Garden State's mother uh, recently committed suicide and now he's kind of processing and going through that. But they're both dealing um, with that kind of moment. Now, the other reason it reminds me of them, because they're both because all these movies are quirky, almost in some ways magical, have some magical realism elements to it. So fantastical. And so there's a lot, I think, in that realm. So if you like those movies, I definitely think you're you're probably a good target audience for Unicorn Store. Unicorn Store, excuse me. Um, but I also feel like this movie is a little bit, uh, and I've been using this word a lot when I've talked about this with my with my wife. I feel like it's strangely calibrated. I don't know if it's as tuned to what I think it needs to do. Right. And and when I think about Garden State, for instance, like Garden State, similar concepts, similar ideas, um, but Garden State was very clearly and firmly in our world. Now, there were quirky characters and strange moments, but all of them were completely and utterly explained. 
big fish. There are all sorts of magical realist moments as we delve through the various uh, stories about the father, as the father tells these tall tales, and we see Ewan McGregor and the flashback um, about like him kind of going through and meeting these carnival folk and stuff like giants and mermaids and all sorts of crazy things. The problem I had with this movie is that there were times in which I felt like either A, they didn't push the, the strange magical nature of the world enough, or they there were moments when I felt it didn't feel like this was actually really set in our own world. And there were also times where I felt like the character itself was almost too naive, kind of too ignorant in some fashions. Um, so it was weird. I just don't think like something was like quite, not quite right. I, like, I think like it wasn't like balanced the way I think it probably needed to be. Um, because there are, there are times in which I, I see Kit like behave or act. And I'm like, are you, are you five? You know, like, and I'm, I'm a creative type, right? Like I, I'm much, much like Kit's character. Like I went to school for creative con Like I have a master's in fine arts, right? I, I do writing, like mine was writing, creative writing. I do all sorts of stuff like that. So it's not visual arts the way she does, but at the same time it's there. So like if anyone's going to be receptive to the notion of like sticking with your dreams and doing creative stuff, it's going to be me. But at the same time, like she was super naive sometimes. Like no one over the age of five is going to tell a person, hey, I'm going to get a unicorn. No one's going to do it. Even if you really believe you're getting a unicorn, you're just not going to do it. Not until you actually have the unicorn. So it just felt really strange. Then there were moments where like her naivete, like it felt, it felt too much. It's like, you're, you're old and, and like, I don't know. I just feel like you're, you're kind of old enough to not have to ask that question, right? I understand the idea that you're at the moment in life where you're trying to move past childish things. Sure, childish things is different, but like her naivete at certain points felt a little bit um, oversold and it didn't really, it didn't really feel consistent. There's a lot of whimsy in this particular uh, movie, which is great. It reminded me, another another thing it reminded me of was the, the TV show, uh, short-lived but wonderful, Pushing Daisies from several years back um, with Lee Pace. But the problem with that is that I also felt that that show did a much better job of very more firmly entrenching itself in kind of a whimsical, allegorical world, whereas this one, I think, still is trying to keep firm footing within like reality. But it just doesn't... I just don't think those two things mesh that well here. The idea of the fantastical elements with holding true to the real, the reality of it all, right? It just felt like a little bit clunky in how it was received. So either I wish this this movie would have more firmly and more more fully went silly and magical and strange, or pulled it back a little bit more and went kind of the Garden State route, which is more less about magical stuff and more about quirky things that can be easily explained, right? So either go, like, it just felt like it was trying to do both things, and I, I just never quite felt like the balance was there. But I enjoyed the movie. I watched it all the way through. It was very interesting. Um, I think that if this, I mean, this is Brie Larson's first director, you know, directorial uh, movie, and so I'm looking forward to her second because I think this is a really strong, uh, solid movie. Um, it's not, it didn't overwhelm me in the sense like, oh, this is, this is the greatest thing ever, but it was, it's certainly up there. Like to me, it's in like this, I, I would put it like into like the 60 to 70 kind of range and like freshness rating type of thing where I think a lot of people can really like the messages that are coming through here. I think there are a lot of really good moments, really, really funny moments. Um, and when this is, when it hits, when this, when this movie hits, it does really, really well. It's just the problem is it doesn't hit all that often, but 
uh, or not often enough, but good movie, not great, but really solid and looking forward to her next, uh, her next film. All right. So you ready for your quiz questions then? Yeah. Did you watch it? I did. Uh, I felt that it was a little bit of a ham-fisted don't let go of your childhood story. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sure just that, how I felt. For sure that was it. It was like how do you maintain the wonder and magic of childhood while moving forward into an adult Don't life? grow up can too fast. That? Like I, I, I get what the main story is, but it just well, seemed... I think. I also think that the lesson of like the advertising of everyone needs a little magic in your life is kind of also like an underlying theme here. And that's a good one. It's just, yeah. I just, I, I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. So that's all. All right. So what do you got for me? Question number one. Can you name the temp agency? Uh, I thought it was a hilarious name. uh, The PR and R. No, the, the temp agency, not the place she went to go work. The temp agency that she got the job through. Uh, it was no, one of the commercials. I don't think I can now. No, yeah, I don't think I can. So I love that because that is one of the moments I did like about the movie is really bad commercials. And the commercial about the temp agency is like this guy, he's like, I'm living at home, I'm just, you know, flipping through channels, not getting anything done with my life. So I call it Temporary Solutions. <laughs> I thought that was a really funny name to temp agency. Because, like, I'm just putting a Band-Aid on my problem. <laughs> so I thought it was a really funny yeah. name. So Temporary Solutions was the name of that one. I wanted to do something from those commercials. I also liked the one where you said it was, like, a punch your period in the stomach. I thought it was a good one. Yeah, that's what I said. Like, there's one. Yeah, and I don't know why a dude is doing that commercial. Like, I don't understand. Such like, a that's weird such set weird. of commercials. That's a All right. Commercial. So when she was working for her college and coming up with like advertising stuff she came up with a specific advertising name for her mcdonald's pitch do you remember what the mcdonald's pitch was that she gave so it was like for a specific food that she was supposed to pick she was talking to the uh the guy from uh legion about it and she came up with a specific name for her mcdonald's food that she had to pitch in her college class do you remember the name of this mcdonald's food yeah, that sounds familiar. Um, I remember the scene. And he said it was the most creative thing he's heard all day. And then he awkwardly held, like, went to the grate behind him and held on to it. it was, he's a very strange character. Yeah, he's really odd. Like, there was at one point I said to my wife, I'm like, is, are we supposed to be, like, creeped out and think he's a pervert? Or is he just awkward? Like, I can't, I can't, I can't decide. And we were both like, I think he's supposed to be creepy. Um, I'm try- I can't, I remember the line. I just, I can't remember like specifically what she said. So now I can't remember the item she came up with and her pitch was McSalsa and chips. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So here's my question for bonus. Is this a Mexican based food where it's actual salsa and chips, or is it a McDonald's play on Mexican food where like you take a Big Mac and scoop it up with uh, fry-like chips. So what do you believe it would be? So that's an interesting question. Um, so I think what it probably is, is you know how McDonald's, for all their sauces, they put them into those tiny little plastic things which you have to peel back 
the yeah, top yeah, yeah, of. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think what it'll be is it'll be like one of those where like you have to peel it back and there's some crappy flavored salsa with a ton of salt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then much like a chicken nuggets thing, like they'll have like a little package of like really bad chips and that's and that's what it'll be. So it'll be kind of in, in like kind of kind of a McNugget packaging except instead of chicken McNuggets, it's it's actual chips and then in that that peel back sauce it's actually salsa that's what i think it would be so you're saying they're going away from brand a little bit to go into the the mexican uh lifestyle for or the mexican uh, cuisine for uh well uh, this i do think that's actually kind of on brand for mcdonald's to take uh to take various uh the various cuisines and americanize them I think we've seen that with some of its other, like the Parmesan sandwich and stuff like that. Everybody knows the griddle originated uh, from Deutschland, and they have Americanized it in a way that is unrecognizable. So, yeah, I know what you mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so I'll give you half credit for that because uh, you, you saved it with the back end. All right. Cool. All right, next cool. question. How uh, did Kevin get so awesome? Why is Kevin so great? Which one's Kevin again? Kevin's like the adopted son. Uh, of her parents that like he, everything he does is fantastic and they all wish that she could be him oh yeah yeah, yeah. he's super funny uh he was in um i just saw Deadpool. this mi- yeah he and he was also in miracle workers which is a tbs show with daniel radcliffe and uh steve buscemi as god uh he was pretty funny on that too uh, I'm trying to remember, like, if there's a specific funny line, um, but I do remember that he failed, like, he wasn't very good at anything, and he didn't even get, like, a college education, um, so I think, I think he, I think he just failed at everything, and then he went on the emotion quest with the parents or something like that, but I can't remember, I think you're referring probably to a funny line, but I can't think of what that funny line might no, be. No, just overall, just at, why is it so great? Uh, it's, it's not a funny line incorporated here, I just, I just was curious, why is he fantastic? Is there's not an actual line connected to this? Uh, I think he was just because he just he just he tries to like he just does things and he tries to to better himself or whatever it might be. Um, like yeah, I can't think of what you might be asking. Well, he's got a lot of good stuff going on. I thought that was really great. Uh, the guy who played her father was the villain from Billy Madison. Um, Bradley Whitford. About, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thought about putting a joke in there about Billy Madison, uh, but. Uh, one of my favorite lines, like in the middle of their conversation, they're having like their, her big like uh, exploding up on her. She's like, "I'm sorry, I can't be Kevin." All right, he goes, "Don't bring Kevin this. He's got a lot of great stuff going on." You know, I thought it was pretty good, but I'll accept your answer. He he works hard because like when they're at the when they're at the dinner table, he's like, "I didn't go to college. I just worked hard and, and, and yeah. put my head down and got a lot of good work done." So I'll, yeah. I'll accept your answer. Okay, cool. Thank you. Right. Uh, Bradley Whitford, by the way. I love Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford was in Get Out. He was the father from uh, the Get Out, one of the creepy people. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I think a lot of people remember him uh, from as Josh on West Wing. Uh, Bradley Whitford's an amazing actor, super funny guy. Um, married to, uh, I can never pronounce her last name, but it's the mother uh, from Malcolm in the Middle. So I think I think they're still married. I hope they're still married. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Super, and super if there were guy. delicious Triscuit crackers in the car, why didn't you bring the Triscuit crackers into the house? I don't understand. <laughs> All right, so next question. Why was Virgil not able to see the store the first time when they went to go see it? Why? Because he didn't He didn't believe. Like, he didn't or he didn't want to believe. Uh, You're uh, absolutely right. Or is it because it never existed? Hmm. Uh, I think it's because uh, they that he wasn't on. So one of the things that uh, uh, Kit does often throughout. I mean, like, that's my real answer. But here's my other answer. Uh, so 
she which she's is right, nice by the way. We'll just, yeah, we'll I know, just, I, I know, I know. That's why I'm like, I want my credit before I do this theory. Uh, so the theory, like my theory, is that the paints that she uses have lead in them, and so that whenever she paints, she she really enjoys painting her face as much as she likes painting the canvas. So she she's just much, super hot. She's so sloppy; it's ridiculous. And I assume that she's super high right now. And it isn't until the end of the movie where he starts actually dealing with some of the paints because towards the end of the movie, he shows up at her house one morning, which is kind of creepy. But he shows up at her house one morning and begins working on the stable without telling her. And he's hanging up all of her former uh, paintings and like in the stables to make it like her own little art gallery, right? And so since he is at that point finally engaging with the paint, he is getting just as freaking bat high as she is but what so that, about yeah. the new woman the sam woman that came at the end was she we we don't see her actually going and see she anything, huffing glue but or something? i assume i assume she she's just on the smack man i i assume she's hardcore she's, black tar look heroin <laughs> look at it look at it i know right it's crazy terrible i got you all right so good so you got what was it uh you got the first one wrong uh second one you got half credit for third one correct fourth one or third one yeah, correct. Fourth one, correct. So you get two and a half, two and a half out of four. So that's that's your that's nice. your total quiz for today. Are you ready for Excellent. new challenges? I am ready for new challenges. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I have uh, so I have two. I need to give you one. I'm going to give you a two week warning on. So this is going to be for next week, but it'll be for the week after because uh, it's a game, and I want you to have enough time to play it. Uh, you're going to for two weeks from from today. Uh, so two episodes from for now. Uh, your challenge is going to be Shenmue. On Steam. Damn it, Jeremy! <laughs> As requested uh, by your brother Jeremy, who said he will take care of the funding. So go ahead and consult with your brother on that. I'm gonna be in, uh, a, gonna be in a, a forklift for five hours. There you go. There you go. So that's your challenge for two weeks. So it gives you time to play it. So hopefully, unlike Resident Evil, you'll Maybe actually take advantage. Way. Of this lead time and actually use. Maybe this is my way into the streaming industry. Is this is the niche I've been looking for the whole time? Old Dreamcast games from. 12 years ago. Go. That's really what it's all about. So for next week, however, because I wanted, again, I want you to have time to properly really dive in to all the, the grandeur that is Shenmue. Uh, I would like you for next week to go ahead and we'll, we're going to do another Netflix horror television show because I really enjoy uh, giving you those. I haven't watched this one yet. Uh, this one's called Chambers. I would like you to watch the first two episodes of Chambers. Yes. All right. Okay. All right. I'm gonna look. I'll look at that in a minute. I'll, I'll see what I'm dealing with. Uh, I got a comic for you. It's a small little. It's unlimited. Uh, it's written by Alan Moore of Watchmen fame, um, and uh, it's called Top Ten. It's a more recent, uh, like independent book that he made, uh, and it's on the unlimited series. And I like Alan Moore as a writer, even though he doesn't really. You know, he doesn't like. Uh, traditional comic books very much and he's kind of like jaded old man now but top 10 is one of his newer uh graphic novels i'd like you to try and look at so top 10 by alan moore on comicsology so i like how i like yeah totally i like how he also doesn't like uh doesn't like adaptations of like watchmen and now uh they're doing one on hbo and there's also an adaptation of swamp thing coming up which is pretty funny so oh yeah. uh, he's gonna be he's gonna be thrilled about that he is so he's mad like, i doubt he's i thought about movie. giving you a swamp thing but that's that's it's old and it's it i've read i've funny. read some swamp things so like back in the day so so but okay. yeah i went with uh top 10 top 10 all right 
Sounds good. And on that note, this very long Avengers Brie Larson filled episode uh, is going to come to a close. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, uh, if you don't mind hopping up on iTunes or on Stitcher or wherever else that you get our listen to our podcast, uh, give us a little subscription or excuse me. Yeah, maybe subscribe. Sure. Or review. Anything like that would be great. If you have any ideas for what Justin and I can challenge each other with, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Lollygagger Co. Justin's at JD Buys. Uh, so if there's something you think we can terrorize the other person with, Please feel free to jump in. Uh, catch Justin on twitch.tv slash Jehufa for some Mortal Kombat 11 action. Uh, and yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. So I'm Justin, becoming, I'm becoming great, uh, great ninja by my sensei game. I'm trying my best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think any of that's true. Uh, all right. So Justin, my final question for you. I'm actually prepared this week. You're in a zombie apocalypse, hypothetically speaking. Naturally. You manage, you, naturally. You manage to find a high school, maybe maybe the very one that you're I shoot in, the kid. That you hold up in, okay? So you can hold up in this in this high school. Where is the best place to hide and barricade yourself in a high school? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Uh, weight room. Weight rooms usually don't have a lot of windows. Full 45-pound weights can just crush as many schools as you need to with. You, know, you got plenty of blunt objects to murder living or dead people you know depending on the situation so i'll say weight room and let's make this two weeks in a row where i've talked about how i'd thoroughly murder somebody so this is evidence number two